Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners to this episode of the Work Life Podcast. I am very excited and absolutely thrilled to be welcoming Aviva Wittenberg-Cox. Hello. Hello. Very nice to be here. I'm so excited. Uh, we have been at the Work Life Hub, great fans of your work for a long time now. So it is yeah. always super exciting to have one of our heroes come on the podcast. So if I'm overexcited or eager, that's the reason why. Thank you. Very kind. So to just to give a, a brief introduction, Aviva is the CEO of 21st Consultancy. She is a gender balanced thought leader, a regular speaker and author of a number of books. The 2008 book, Why Women Mean Business, followed in 2010 by How Women Mean Business. And her latest book uh, of 2014, Seven Steps to Leading a Gender Balanced Business. She's also the founder and honorary president of Professional Women's Network, PWN Global, among many other things. So please, Aviva, take uh, listeners through a little bit your journey on, on how you started and, and how your career evolved and, and how you became such a passionate advocate for gender equality and women's issues. Um, interestingly, I, I don't see myself as a as a, as a, a fighter for women's equality, but as a sort of rational uh, rational uh, explainer of why gender balance is actually better for business countries and couples. So uh, my 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 interests are, are are not so much the the promotion of women as the awakening of everybody and where do I get that it's um, from now some 35 years in business where I just see that um, there is underperformance in this area and the talent pool isn't being maximized and the customer base isn't being maximized in ways that would serve everyone well so when you see it over decades uh, you get a little impatient with it and you try and see how you can do your bit and contribute. Um, and how I started is I started like a lot of people of my age, I think, and a lot of our listeners who are younger, 
by thinking that this entire topic was obsolete a long time ago, that we had overcome it. Um, and where I got my personal wake-up call on all this was when I founded the uh, Professional Women's Network back in the late 90s and spent a decade running a nonprofit aimed at professional women and listening to all their stories and all the stories of the companies that came to us asking for help on how to uh, better gender balance their workforces or better connect with uh, a feminizing consumer base. So it was really that um, decade where I learned an awful lot about the issues and the struggles, both individually and corporate-wide, and after that decided to actually switch careers and start a company in that space. Uh, and that's when 21st was born, around 2005. Uh, the initial focus of, 2000, of, of 21st was to do what a lot of companies have done, is focus on empowering women Mm -hmm. uh, and doing a lot of leadership and coaching work. I'm a certified coach. Uh, and after a few years of that, realizing that women probably weren't the problem, mm -hmm. and it was much more about helping organizations, cultures, mindsets evolve. And we switched in, 20, in 2005 from working on women to working much more on leadership and company-wide efforts. And that's where we've been for the last uh, over 10 years now, um, working essentially with leadership teams on how to lead a more gender-balanced business, how to adapt companies to the 21st century, um, what it takes, how to do it, how not to do it. Um, and it really hasn't become a fight for equality, but a fight for balance. Thank you very much for, for sharing this and, and I think it's absolutely fascinating and, and I'm sure will inspire many of the listeners. And before we come to what you just mentioned here about uh, companies adapting to the world of the 21st century and you know all the systemic changes, these mega trends that are taking place, I would like to just pick up on, on, on your very first comment about, you know, are you an advocate or are you a professional and and I find that that's quite an interesting conversation that I don't really think is taking place whether um if you uh come with the you know just holding up a mirror basically to to business but also civil society and institutions about hey you know where is the other half of the population and it makes total business sense whether you are you uh, immediately uh, associated with being a, a feminist or a women's rights activist or or how can one keep it you know very professional do do you ha have these kind of nuances do you s struggle sometimes with this per perception um not really uh maybe i should say first of course i'm a feminist like any um smart woman of today or any smart man for that matter uh, I don't understand really people of any gender who say they aren't feminists. So I generally work with companies that are feminist <laughs> because they actually are hiring us. They believe in that better balance is going to be good for their bottom lines. That's the motivation generally. Um, but I have learned to become very careful that we're not saying 
one gender or the other are more likely to be feminist or not feminist. Um, and the idea that most of the talent today, most of the educated talent that is graduating out of universities today is female. Most of the consumers are female. Um, businesses that ignore that perfectly rational economic reality simply aren't leveraging the potential of the topic. So I have become very careful in the language I use and who's involved in the conversation. And, you know, I'm not um, accusing anybody of anything. I'm simply giving a pretty positive and constructive picture of the opportunities for men, women, and companies that get this topic right. It's a win-win for pretty well everybody. Now, thank you very much for this clarification because um, we here at the Work Life Hub, we're, we're sometimes confronted with this issue of, you know, are we going to talk about productivity and performance and company performance and business sense? especially when we talk about, you know, parental leave or flexible working, because it's quite often then associated with a women's agenda or a mommy issue and, and how to navigate, as you say, the language and using the right words to, to make compelling arguments um, without maybe deterring some who would maybe shy away a little bit if, if it turns out to be a kind of a women's agenda. Well, what I always tell companies and anybody interested in this topic is we have to be aware of our own communication and our own impact. And part of being aware of that is knowing who are you talking to. And if it's just women talking to other women, we're not going to shift the agenda as fast as we could if we talk to a hundred percent of the population and companies more broadly. And I think that's where we stand today. There's a little bit too much communication around this topic that is women talking to women, women's conferences, women's leadership stuff, um, which has its place and its uses. But if you're trying to shift companies and if companies are trying to shift themselves internally, you actually have to get really good at communicating with the majority of the people you have. And since in a lot of companies, the majority today is still male, you're going to have to watch that your language and your arguments are convincing and inclusive of men as well as women. And on that, on this topic, people haven't yet flipped to that realization. We, we talk a lot about focusing on your majority of who you're talking to. And I think uh, we have to make that pitch a lot more attractive and constructive. Absolutely. And talking about language, um, a little later in the podcast, we're going to uh, explore what you call bilingual leadership and talent management and marketing because i find that very very interesting but before that um in one of your presentations i, I saw um, a very interesting uh, model that that you present there about how companies need to adapt to the 21st century uh, challenges and, and circumstances and you make a very interesting and, and fun 
analogy that they need to move from a pyramid to a pomegranate. And I just wondered if you could maybe explain a little bit what, what, what you mean by that and, and what is this kind of shift that actually we were just talking about. I think we that's part of our name, right? We're, we're called 21st, and our, our explanation of the name is that we helped companies move from the 20th to the 21st century while keeping them first. And I think part of that shift is the 20th century was very much dominated by large companies that were very, very pyramid-like in their structures, pretty top-down, pretty autocratic, pretty uh, lots of management layers, fairly centralized. And a lot of them are shifting to more pomegranate-like structures and ways of working, which are much more globalized, much more decentralized, much more networked as opposed to hierarchy. Um, the technological revolution has been through this as well. And that the pomegranate requires such dramatically different styles of leadership than did the pyramid. And I think we're still in that shift in a lot of companies between the pyramid forms and the pomegranate forms. And I think gender balance helps accelerate that shift. Yeah, it's almost like an iterative process, right? There are all these changes happening, which then also <clears throat> allow for women to maybe find their place. And then the way they come in also accelerates parity. Well, and I think gender balance also accelerates performance, yeah. uh, particularly in pomegranate organizations where generally, yes, women will feel much more comfortable and at ease than they are in hierarchical pyramid-like structures. Absolutely. So in your latest book, um, Seven Steps to Leading a Gender-Balanced Business, um, you, you outlined some of these very pragmatic um business focused um strategies that companies can adopt now before we maybe go to some of these uh, seven steps um where do you still see the biggest bottleneck so what are these encrusted challenges that is just making it so difficult to shift i don't i don't really i wouldn't frame it quite that way i wouldn't talk about encrusted <laughs> challenges i'd say we are in the midst of one of the biggest social changes humanity has ever witnessed, right? We're not, we're not ever before seen a world where men and women were in any way equally educated or financially empowered. This is new, right? So it's not like companies are encrusted um, in some weird past. They are all shifting and a myriad of changes to the 21st century realities, one of which is this new gender balanced world. So they're all adapting to some extent, whether they take it on board as a strategic opportunity on which they're gonna go really, really fast and make it a priority, or whether they're gonna drag their heels and make it slightly slower has a lot to do with what business they're in or what sector or if the CEO actually believes in this stuff or not. Um, but I wouldn't say there's any one particular obstacle. The three things that we usually end up focusing on during a gender balance change is the culture of the organization, the skills of the leaders in leading the change, 
and the, the systems that underpin how things are done. So culture, leaders, and systems are the three things needing addressing if you want a gender balance. I, I, perhaps I'm a bit dramatic about this encrusted challenges, but I'm, you know, Eastern European. And so some of my experiences have been um, very, very uh, challenging uh, to, to come out from like the 1950s uh, thinking. When you say systems, what do, what do you mean? Well, there's, you know, large companies work on systems, policies, processes, approaches, systems that, you know, make things efficient and productive. And there are a lot of them and they're designed usually and then they stay for quite some time. And so systems that affect gender balance can be either the HR side, the talent management side, how companies manage people, talent, careers, uh, parental leave, flexibility. There's a, a huge number of systems that underpin how people experience organizations. And the other side of the systems is who they think their customers are and what processes, systems, delivery channels, products, uh, services they offer their customers are also systems based on their understanding and segmentation of their customer base. And there's a lot of bias, whether it's looking at talent or whether it's looking at customers, that tends to assume um, sometimes some rather outdated things that are changing very fast. So the, the talent side is, is gender balancing at lightning speed, and so is the customer base. And not all companies are keeping pace with those shifts. Mm. And do you see a generational um, element in this? We, could, can we generalize that younger companies or the techie, hip companies, you know, some of them who cater to the millennials would be more, much more um, appropriately addressing this? Or is it... Not necessarily, mm. because one of the challenges we face in the West, particularly, is that the tech world is pretty male-dominated. Yeah. So a lot of young companies that are starting up in dot-com cultures or Silicon Valley who are changing the shape of our world um, are extraordinarily male-dominated. And they are trying to change now, but that's many years into their evolution, right? Yeah, absolutely. So c can you give a glimpse um, to listeners in, in, into the seven steps? And, and then we're going, we're going to go back to, to some of them, perhaps. Yeah, well, um, the first step is to reframe the agenda. And instead of making this a women's issue, talking about women, having it led by women, focused on women, we say that gender balance is a business opportunity mm -hmm. um, that requires you know, leadership from the CEO and his or her executive team. Leaders need to be um, convinced and convincing of how the topic is actually linked to their business performance and able to convince others of that fact and really push it through the organization um, with their own communication skills and mm. leadership. So that's probably the biggest and the first step. Um, 
And then there are all kinds of things about getting leaders to lead, uh, making sure that leaders are actually skilled in what this topic is and what it is not, um, making them comfortable with the topic, making sure it's data-driven and fact-based rather than full of stereotypes and assumptions. Yeah. Um, making sure that they actually know what they're talking about when they're talking about things like balance, you know, are there, are there targets or not? What, you know, should they name a number? Are they just going to push some, you know, government quota? Um, or are they going to say, no, actually we're going to have a gender neutral business objective of having you know, a minimum of 40% of both genders at every level and in every function because that's kind of what our talent and our customers might find appropriate. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, and I can, and me and also the listeners, I think can totally see that this is a very, very different framing than, um, than just always, you know, than just saying we have to advance women and, you know, the, the women driven. I think that there's a very clear differentiation between what you just explained and and i think that that makes it um really really fantastic uh, and in in these steps there is also the, your concept of the bilingual leadership the bilingual talent management and the bilingual marketing would you maybe just explain a little bit what what you mean by that yeah i mean the idea of bilingual leadership is that leaders become very skilled in knowing what the differences between genders are and are comfortable and easy in um, making sure that they are engaging uh, and able to lead across both genders, whether it's on, you know, motivating their people and developing their careers and potential or whether it's connecting with potential customer bases and making sure that they know how to accelerate growth in among both male and female customers. Mm. Um, that, that would be gender bilingual leadership, and it just flows down through bilingual talent management is making sure your all of your HR systems and processes are inclusive of both men and women, 100% of your talent base. And making sure that all your marketing strategies is also bilingual, that it isn't unconsciously normed to, you know, male marketing messages that may not appeal as much to women. And does everybody in the organization actually know what the differences are? Mm, absolutely. It's just a skill. It's like a language skill. It's like working across cultures. I always say, you know, companies know that if they want to sell to the Chinese, they need to learn the language and culture of the Chinese. Well, if you want to sell to women or if you want to work with them, you also have to learn the language and culture of women and how it may distinguish itself from the language and culture of men. It's not rocket science. It just takes a bit of attention. And, and in your experience, um, in companies that are opening up to this, um transformation process who is the responsible so so who is going to drive or in in what you have seen in your experience who is driving usually um you know some of these these changes or shifts because from observing a little bit from a, a bird's eye 
point of view, it's, it seems to me that in some of these, um, the new world of work or how we're going to transition into that, there's a bit of a finger pointing between is this HR's role? Is this the role of the CEO or the board? Is this the role of employees to kind of push bottom up? And in your experience or in your view, who is going to take this transformation? Well, there's enough research now to show that the only ones who are successful successfully taking the transformation are those where the topic is CEO-driven mm. for many years. This is not an overnight transformation. And if it is a strategic business issue, it should be in the hands. Because people will need convincing. It's not the most obvious topic in the world. Um, usually in a lot of the organizations we work with, it's coupled with the issue of nationality and balancing out and globalizing the nationality of talent and customers as well. And that is also usually in the hands of a CEO who will lead the charge and convince an entire organization of why it's time to internationalize, modernize, and feminize. It's, um, again, it's not very complicated, but it has been unfortunately framed too often and given as an HR topic, which yeah. minimizes its business potential because then you ignore the customer facing side, which is where the biggest business opportunity lies. Absolutely. I think you have been, you know, we really put it spot on. Um, before we come to the last question, which is going to be linked a little bit to this and is always the same. Um, may I just ask you, Aviva, to uh, tell listeners your Twitter or your website or where they can reach you and, and how they can reach out to you? Absolutely. The website is 20, the number, 20-first.com. The Twitter uh, handle is a underline Wittenberg Cox or underscore. Um, all the books are available on amazon.co.uk. And actually, I should add that my last book is um, Four Phases of Women's Careers that just came out uh, this month. Oh, so it's hot off the press and will be um, announced by press release today. Um, and you will also find that on Amazon. Yes, because that's how we met at a workshop where you were talking about these four phases. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I was so, you know, I was so relieved and happy coming away from that workshop when I realized that my life is basically just beginning. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> so now coming to the last question, Aviva, um, which is always the same that we ask here, if I could ask you to give a CEO an advice, one advice, to become a more gender-balanced company, what would that first advice be? Never say the word women again. <laughs> Do you want talk to... About, <laughs> talk, about, talk about balance, talk about talent, talk about customers, but never talk about women again. It's not about that. And the more senior leaders or women keep talking about women the more they alienate men and we don't make this the inclusive win-win situation that it needs to become if we hope to make progress 
Thank you so much, Aviva, for taking the time. Come on the podcast. Thank you so much. My great pleasure. Good luck to you. Thanks a lot.